Welcome to another edition of Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. This is a show that happens every two weeks, every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook page. And it's all about the solo careers of the Beatles. Once in a while, we will talk about them as a group. But for the most part, it's about John, Paul, George, and Ringo and their solo careers. I'm Ken Michaels, one of the regular co-hosts of the show. And I'm also known for my other Beatles broadcasts, Every Little Thing, a syndicated Beatles radio show right now on over 40 radio stations. Also, uh, another podcast show you might be familiar with called Things We Said Today. And also my very Beatles-centric website, kenmichaelsradio.com. And I'm being uh, joined by my regulars here on the show. First of all, you know her as, without question, the ultimate queen of Beatles social media. And she is the author of... <laughs> songs we were singing guided tours through the beatles lesser known tracks and michael jackson faq all that's left to know about the king of pop i wish she would have shorter titles in her books but uh in addition to that <laughs> she is a contributing writer to beetle fan and lots of other publications to know her is to love her kid o'toole hi kit <laughs> I can. That was that was so sweet. <laughs> that was very, very. It's all at the top of my head, and it usually that, sounds it. Oh, that that was so. That that was very sweet. Hello, hello, everybody. It's great to have the the Fab Five back. Mm-hmm. That is right. They said it couldn't be done. <laughs> it's always tough to get the five of us in the same room together. Yes, but it has to be virtual, I guess. Yes. Anyway, let's bring on one of the co-hosts of a very popular uh, Paul McCartney solo podcast called Two Legs. I can't keep up with this guy's activities because every single week <laughs> he's got somebody else, a great guest on the show, and um, he co-hosts the show with Andy Nichols. They're doing a great job. Say hello to Tom Mignotti. Hi, Tom. Hey, Ken. Hey, Kit. Ken and Joe. Good, so good to be with you guys. And I'm uh, going to announce another new guest later on uh, in the show. So I can't wait to, to talk about that. Okay. We also have Joe Mayo on. He's known for his very popular YouTube channel, known as being Mean Mr. Mayo, but he's anything but mean right. if you listen to uh, this show. <laughs> very <laughs> mad. <laughs> only, only after the show he gets mean with us. But yeah. while this is on, he's cool. But uh, anyway, he does a lot of fantastic stuff on the Beatles and anything in the entertainment field. Talks about collectibles all the time. Uh, Just had a very special person contact him, which we'll talk about 
in just a few moments. Hi, Joe. Hello, Ken. <laughs> don't don't look surprised. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to bring that bring that up. You <laughs> have to. It's something to be really proud of. Yeah. Hello. How you doing today? Doing very well, thank you. Okay. okay. And also, we have our frequent fifth member, uh, who you know for so many Beatle books, the Beatles Encyclopedia, a pair of books on George Martin, uh, sound pictures and maximum volume, and also a book on the Abbey Road album called Solid State, and most recently, his brand new one, which is why we have him on, right? <laughs> Although he's welcome on any of our shows. John Lennon, 1980. We're all holding it up. <laughs> and I love that cover. I have it in the other room. Want me to prove it? <laughs> <laughs> love that cover. Good cover shot. <laughs> Only tonight, he's in the hot seat. Uh, <laughs> because uh, we are interviewing Ken to talk about the new book on John and everything that he's covered in it. Page by page, as a matter of fact, he doesn't know that yeah. yet. But. Oh. <laughs> We're going over each and every page of this book tonight. <laughs> well, I'm proud to be with you guys. I'm proud to be the fifth talker. Yay. Yes, you are. Talk more talkers. <laughs> well, we're going to have Beatle news to get to. But before we do that, as I just mentioned a few months ago, just want to say congratulations to Joe, because on his YouTube page, he did a review, a nice review of the new Lennon compilation, Give Me Some Truth. And guess who tweeted him on it? None other than Sean Lennon, who, uh, you know, praised the video. So congratulations to you, Joe. Yeah, nice going. thank you. What a, what a thrill, as you could imagine, you know, being uh, such a fan all these years of all things Beatles, fellow Beatles. And uh, I got to talk with Sean a few times. We conversed through email and uh i just am really honored i really think it's nice of him to do that really really cool guy it's got to make you feel good to get that it kind does. of acknowledgement yeah. you know he oh, must sure be looking over the internet to see how yeah. it's being covered but <laughs> but knowing nice. how popular how popular your video channel is now yeah yeah you know sure. you get thousands of subscribers because of it i think i think sean sent some some people on my way to subscribe Okay. I'm sure. Oh, nice. Thank you. Very good. Thank you, Sean. I'm sure he Thank is. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> he does have a network. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, he does. Absolutely. Okay. Well, and he said specifically in that tweet how impressed he was with your, you know, your attention to detail and your thoughtful review. And I mean, he was he was very specific in that tweet. So yeah, and you know, not everything that I said, you know, in the review was 100% glowing. I had no idea he was going to actually see it. See, well, sure, see but it. still. But um, no, that's fine because that's one of the things he, he told me that he enjoyed about it was that, I, you know, I was able to be critical about certain things. And then we had a discussion about uh, some of those things. Wow. And, uh, I, I, you know, he confided some things in me. And I was surprised, you know, some things he shared with me. Uh, and uh, it was just really a, a great experience. And I, I was down a little bit down on the packaging first. So we, we talked a little about the packaging decisions. And so Did he say he'd get it right next time? <laughs> well, I think, no, he, I, think it was, I think he got it right this time after uh, he explained it to me. <laughs> so ah, I just, I was talking about the repetition. There was, I thought there was a lot of repetition. We'll get to this because we're going to eventually talk about uh, the box uh, set. And yes, such. we this will. Ken Womack's yeah. 
Uh, yes, this is your night, Ken. But uh, for anyone curious, because I know we've gotten a few people writing to us, when are you going to review Give Me Some Truth? We're going to do that in our next show. We are. Okay? So uh, tune in for that just a couple weeks away. All right. But we also have to congratulate Ken because a few nights ago, he was on ABC television. And there was a John Lennon special, which is called His Life, His Legacy, His Last Days and a two hour special and uh, you were interviewed on there and thought you sounded great. <laughs> uh, thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed the special, especially because of um, the guests that were on, all the people who were interviewed, especially the heavyweights like uh, Jack Douglas, who I think was wonderful, Bob Gruen, Elliot Mintz, those people. Um, Andy Newmark was a real treat, yeah. but um, just want to find out from each of you what you thought of the special, because I think you all saw it. And Ken, since you were in it, what did you think? Well, first of all, I would love a special, I think that's just uh, that's just Bob Gruen, um, <laughs> where he could tell his stories of sitting around the butcher block table with John and Yoko, you know, back in 1976 when Silly Love Songs was on, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Um, and because he tells his story so warmly and he's really that kind of guy. I like him a lot. I would love to see that show. But that aside, um, I, I really enjoyed it uh, until the second half. <laughs> um, you know, just to be brutally frank, I, uh, you know, nobody asked me how they were going to cut it. Um, I would have loved uh, half an hour just on the music. They obviously had the budget for it because they had some some really nice footage that most folks don't shell out the dollars for. So it, it would have been nice, I think, to have more about the achievement of those songs and, and what they meant, as opposed to more of the true crime stuff, which I, I feel like we know that. And the, the only thing I would say is the saving grace for that is, you know, the right doctors now getting credit. <laughs> um, I was going to or, ask what happened to Dr. Stephen Lynn footage. In that. Well, uh, he didn't actually do any of the, the heart massage. That was actually Dr. Oh, Halloran. And he oh. had been sort of masquerading all these years. And huh. uh, so it was nice to see, you know, I guess the right doctors get credit. But I felt like it just went into the rabbit hole of the true crime story too much. Yeah. Uh, as opposed yeah. to why we all keep coming back, which, you know, is what we talk about on this show all the time. And that is it's the music. It's what John Lennon said over and over again. You don't need a Beatles reunion. You have these records and they're amazing. Play those. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> he said it over and over again. And of course, 40 years later, um, after his death and 50 years after the Beatles, he's right. Yeah, I was kind of amazed how much they seemed to race right through up to 1980. Yeah, you, yeah. Last, you know, so yeah. much time was was all, all about his death. But anybody want to comment? Well, I didn't know going in that it was going to be two hours. Mm. And I should just mention, just to throw, you know, it was weird too, if I can add this in, it's interesting. I got the first uh, email from Sean Lennon five minutes before the show was about to begin. <laughs> so that was fresh in my head. And then I'm seeing footage of Sean, Sean Lennon as, you know, a little kid and it was surreal in a good way. But um, I thought it was going to be an hour, and I was a little surprised when it got to, to the hour mark. I thought, oh, this is going to be two hours. And uh, like uh, Ken Womack said, uh, I, I enjoyed the first half uh, quite a bit. I do think, uh, Ken Michaels, I think that they did gloss over a lot of things and zip ahead to 1980, unfortunately. But I, I was enjoying what I was seeing and hearing, and it's always a treat to see the interviews 
with mm. everybody. Now, you know, who knew John and Bob Gruen, as you say, oh, always a treat. Maybe we can get him here on this show. Hey. Uh, he, has, he has a new book coming out tomorrow, as a matter of there fact. You, there you go. Okay. And, uh, it's called, you know, uh, I'm not somebody who stays away from the, the history of, unfortunately, what happened to John. And of course, we all know there's plenty of those kind of documentaries. Some people choose not to watch them at all. I've, I've watched them occasionally, but I didn't really feel it suited this presentation. I, I, I didn't know they were going to go all out and make it, like you said, like a true crime story or mm. something like that. Uh, that, was a, that was a surprise. I thought that kind of dampened things a little bit for this particular event. But it is, sadly, 40 years, too. Right. Can I throw a detail in? And I wonder what you guys think. You know, I, I, I felt like that was well-trodden ground, you know, except for the doctor business I, I just named. I thought it was good, though, when they talked about, um, when they showed Yoko, and I've seen the footage before, as I'm sure you guys have too, staging the season of Blast Cover. Yeah. Um, mm. Because I think that's particularly authentic. It's sort of her Jackie Kennedy pillbox hat moment. And it uh, that always resonates. So I, I thought that was good. But what a great moment that would have been to tip off back into the music uh, and, and talk about the real legacy, which is her legacy, too. Uh, right. Right. Yeah, yeah uh, I agree. I, I would have liked to have seen, you know, more about the music. But uh, but a, a viewer uh, here, Mark, uh, Mark P., our friend Mark P., hmm. uh, points out, and it's true, when it's 2020 doing it, you know, it is and it's particularly in recent years become a true crime um you know centric show like so and for yeah, yeah exactly exactly so it's kind of not it not surprising that they went you know in the second half toward you know kind of a true crime angle um but uh, i was just relieved that they didn't spend much time on on the killer i mean that's what i was afraid of as it was going on when i realized that they were going to spend a full hour on that i thought oh no please please don't right. you know but they really didn't um you know i mean they focused more on the crime itself not him so i was i was relieved at that um and i i thought it was nice toward the end um when they uh, discussed, you know, the different ways that he was honored, and of course talked mm. about Strawberry Fields, and um, and uh, I think mentioned the the Peace Tower and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I agree, Ken. I think um, talking about Season of Glass uh, was important because, I mean, I remember uh, how Yoko was really, you know, really trashed about that at the time, and I think a lot of people missed her point. Yes. Um, and, and just, you know, thought it was tasteless and, and, you know, and I mean, you know, I, I get what she was trying to do. And I think a lot of people did, but, but, a, but a lot of other people just, I mean, she just got absolutely ripped apart for that. And I'm glad that, you know, there was some attention paid to that and some explanation. Um, and uh, so I, I thought that was, but as I said, as you said, Ken, I, I think that would have been an interesting way to you know maybe go into some 
uh, some music, but, um, you know, and, and as far as the first hour, I mean, they did have to go over his career and, and yes, I found myself saying, but you skipped over this, 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 mm-hmm. but I guess there was all, only so much they could cover, uh, in, in that short of time. I mean, it was going to be, I was kind of surprised they didn't talk about imagine at all. Um, you know, things like that, but I guess there's only so much they could cover and, you know, maybe it was for a different kind of audience. Um, you know, but, uh, but Ken, you did, I mean, you know, as always, you did a great job. I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. doubt that. Uh, and as you said, Bob Gruen, great to hear from him. Um, and, uh, and as you said, I, yeah, I could, I, I, you just know he's got so much more to say. He really does. And, and while he's fortunately still with us to capture some of that video would be, a, that's a documentary that I think I'd like to see or mm-hmm. one with Jack. I mean, that'd be fine too, but yes. Still. But certainly Bob, since he had kind of a longer arc with them, good times and bad. Yeah. I want to interject. Was Bob Gruen the one who is recording that interview in studio, 1980, candid footage of John, where you hear the Empire Strikes Back being mixed over the No, no, that's Robert Hilburn of the LA Times. Oh, okay. That's that's a wonderful little piece. Even though you you have to strain to hear it. (laughs) And I saw in your book, you know, you you have quotes from there, uh, Ken. I got the transcript. Oh, nice. (laughs) I couldn't hear it either. (laughs) There's a video up somewhere I saw once where somebody puts the words. Okay, yeah. Uh, That's a good idea because it is inaudible. And there's gold in there, in in there, that little bit of footage we have, especially how he feels about Paul when he's talking about Paul. My dear one. Yeah, by the way, Bob Gruen's book is called Right Place, Right Time. It's coming out tomorrow, and it's photographs that span his entire career. So, worth checking out. Tom, you want to add anything? Uh, I just want to add that I had a wonderful time with my wife that night. We had a great date night. We uh, we had our masks on and everything, and we just really did the town. But uh, yeah, I plan... Yeah. <laughs> I was no, wondering but I, where I, that I, relationship was going. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, but no, I plan on watching it soon and uh, look forward to it. But I'm amazed by you know what you got. I'm really you know excited to see it from everything that you guys pointed out. But but as somebody that's a fan of documentaries and how they're made and whatnot. But Ken, I mean, how long ago did you record that interview? I looked it up this morning. It was in uh, the beginning of June. And oh wow, it, that long ago. Was, uh, a lot of stuff was on the cutting room floor. Uh, mm. We did four hours. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And, uh, I spent a lot of time talking about the legacy and and mm-hmm. uh, and making sure I accounted for everything because I could hear my inner Ken Michaels over here, like <laughs> giving it to me if I didn't. So I made sure I covered it very fully. Um, <laughs> I did notice they asked me to narrate a lot of the years and they used a lot of that um, in the show. You can hear me. Mm. It's kind of bizarre. Um, right i thought i uh, could hear you at very yeah with what they didn't mention it but i thought i could hear you that hear could you just be yourself. how i normally pipe myself into your head <laughs> <laughs> and that, you may be confusing the two that's true um, you're yeah you're always in my head ken well <laughs> I will because of the chip so mm. yes there you go there you go oh, well um i also wanted to say that um i enjoyed having dave sholin Oh, in the show, oh, yes. as well as Lori Kay, that added a lot since yeah. that was the last interview, the RKO interview. Mm-hmm. And they went out of their way to not mention the killer's name, although oh, it God. was in one news report. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
that was tasteful that way. All okay. right, but uh, let's move on with the latest news. Of course, October 9th, John's 80th birthday saw the release of the compilation. Give me some truth. 36 songs in total from John's solo career, all remixed and handpicked by Sean and Yoko. The book that accompanies the deluxe edition has a listing of a plastic on all band box set, the ultimate edition, which is comprised of six CDs, two Blu-rays, and a plastic on all band book, which they say is coming out in 2020. Joe nice. is showing it right there. Yeah. But we're all wondering, will it really come out in 2020? Hmm. I guess it all depends on where that's being delayed because of COVID. And uh, there is a preface in the book from Yoko, which is in from June. So since COVID's really hit us around February, March, could very well be that plans right. are still for 2020. We don't know for sure, but at least we know for a fact that it is coming out. Yeah. I'm but, a bit confused. Um, I'm a bit confused about the book and the see. I mean, because I thought the book came out the same time with uh, the Imagine book. That is, that came out in the same time with as the as the Imagine box set did. So I'm kind of confused why they would, you know, still put out the book but not the not the uh, the music set. You know, the box. Yeah, set. the book has now been moved yeah. to to November. Day? November, okay. yeah. So maybe so, they will be yeah. coming out the same yeah. time. We don't know for sure, yeah. but at least we know that um, it's definitely on for a plastic on a band box set. But on this very subject and more was an article that appeared in recordingmag.com all about John's solo catalog being remixed. And Joe is covering this also on his video channel. The interview has Simon Hilton, the compilation producer for the Ultimate Collection series, interviewing Paul Hicks, the legendary mixer, engineer, and producer who's worked on Beatles and McCartney and Ringo projects, now working on Lennon and, they say, Harrison projects. And let us not forget that Paul Hicks has also been a part of the band The New Number Two with Danny Harrison. He's also, by the way, the son of Tony Hicks of the Hollies. And uh, Sam Gannon is also in this interview a mixed engineer, producer, and musician. The article says that Yoko is the boss behind these projects, and Sean Lennon is listed as the executive producer and creative director. This article says that Sean has been giving incredibly concise and consistent direction throughout. It is a very interesting article, a bit on the technical side, but it leads one to believe that the rest of John's catalog is likely to be remixed. And it's also interesting just to see that it mentioned Harrison projects as well. So will his albums be remixed? Gotta wonder about that. Hope so. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. And money, the... money, money. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Take it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And the, the Give Me Some Truth compilation has made an impressive debut on the official album charts in the UK, entering at number three there. Although uh, you guys were telling me before the show that Sean has been posting something online that it's number one. Now, the, the physical UK. media charts in the UK okay. is number one. The basic chart is three. Okay. They break things up, right? Different topics, uh, physical media, regular album chart. So many different charts. It gets confusing. <laughs> but um, I did look before. Media. Yeah. I looked before the show to uh, billboard.com and so far, Give Me Some Truth is not on the charts yet. So it mm. will be next week. Okay. 
Also on John's Sean birthday, excuse me, Ken. Excuse me. One thing he mentioned it went on his uh, on his I think it was his tweet page or Facebook, one or the other. He did mention that it was the first time a showing like this happened for one of his dad's albums since he was nine years old. He said in 1984, mm. this high. He must be I thrilled. Bet. So, let's hope that? it happens here too. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> Um, we also have the John Lennon tribute CD, Gems Celebrates John Lennon, with artists from the Gems record label, all covering songs from John's career with the Beatles and solo. That includes the Weaklings, Richard Barone, the Midnight Callers, the Gripweeds, and Jonathan Pushkar, with liner notes from our very own Ken <laughs> Womack. There, there we go. <laughs> the price had to be doubled on the CD just because of Ken's contribution. That's right. <laughs> In all seriousness, you know, we all we all owe Marty so much. I've I've told him many times, you know, we think of all the music we got in the '70s that we would otherwise have not had access to if it weren't for Jim. Mm -hmm. Yes, staggering. Having worked in a record store record world <laughs> on long island we always heard about gem records and imports was that the one at gem? roosevelt field mall yes huh? okay yes it was very good catch. i think i saw grease there once yeah. <laughs> speaking of sean he performed john's song isolation on stephen colbert's show for their play at home music series which you can see now on youtube sean plays electric guitar in the video he is the only person that you see but he says he also plays drums on the song and his nephew, Jack, plays bass. When I hear nephew, I'm thinking through Kyoko, I'm yeah. guessing. But uh, Sean says, crazy how much the lyrics fit our current year. Uh, Yoko Ono is contributing to a new 77 track compilation called Good Music to Avert the Collapse of American Democracy, Volume 2. <laughs> Following the success of the first volume, the money goes to the organization, the Voting Rights Lab, a nonpartisan organization that brings state advocacy, policy, and legislative expertise to the fight for voting rights. Yoko Ono and the Plastic Ono Band have contributed the song, There's No Goodbye Between Us. It's a remix by Deacon of Animal Collective. The song was first on her album, Take Me to the Land of Hell. Other artists contributing include David Byrne, Pearl Jam and My Morning Jacket. A few weeks ago, we reported on a virtual John Lennon uh, tribute concert called Dear John, some of which was recorded at the Hard Rock Cafe in London. The concert itself is now available to watch online on YouTube. Look it up under Dear John, second annual John Lennon tribute concert in aid of War Child UK. That's the charity that you can donate to. They even have Dear John apparel line. Artists who performed included Graham Goldman and John Ilsey from Dire Straits. As Paul McCartney has become so adept at teasing his fans online about upcoming releases, with all the speculation of a McCartney if you release, if you subscribe to Spotify, and if you choose to play any song from the first McCartney album or McCartney 2, then it shows a die with the number three on it. Reports have it that a release is due in December. I keep hearing December 11th. That's not confirmed. We should have an announcement pretty soon. And I hope a new single. And some people that I know, some friends of ours, have already received something in the mail for that from Capitol Records. It's a pouch and it's got dice in there. And they all have three on it, I think. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, yep. three and then the, the, the title McCartney. Okay. 
So I think we can safely say it's on. Something's coming out. Okay. <laughs> and ooh, I mean, how I want one of those. Uh, I had many people that. in the hey, comments. It was showing oh, that, Joe. Oh, oh, I, have <laughs> I have one of these extra cube, a new cube. If anybody wants to make a trade, <laughs> me, Mr. Mayo, and we can do a little trade here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, as someone who's used to saying, well, it ain't official yet. <laughs> now, now I can say, it's definitely going to happen. Yeah. And uh, Ringo Starr sent out a tweet recently. Another cool day in the studio. Thank you, Luke, Jenny, and Joe. Peace and love. Ringo's been talking about making an EP. Would love to see a few new songs from Ringo coming out soon. The Luke he's talking about is um, Ken's own friend, Steve Lukather, who's uh, just did an interview with on his new podcast show. And uh, I'm guessing Jenny is Jenny Lewis and Joe. I don't know if that's Joe Walsh or not. But the picture uh, online, it wasn't Joe Walsh with Ringo. And speaking of Luca Thur, he just announced Toto getting back together, or a new lineup of Toto, I, I should say. Oh, After yeah. I thought last year he said that the, the band was retiring. So I remember that. Huh. Yeah. But a new right. lineup for Toto. So. Once COVID's over, (laughs) a couple more news items, and then we're on to our interview. Elton John has a new box set due out November 13th. It's called the Jewel Box Collection, described as an archival collection of 148 songs dating as far back as as 1965 (laughs) up through 2019. Don't you kind of wish Paul would do the same thing? Yeah, please. One of the tracks on there is called Regimental Sergeant Zippo, described as a nod to the 60s era and the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper album, recorded in May 1968. Elton says this was going to be the title track of his unreleased debut album from 1969, and you can actually preview the song on rockcellarmagazine.com, or you can check our own Facebook page, because I posted it there. Okay? And finally, George Harrison's single for My Sweet Lord is being reissued for Record Store Day on November 27th. It is supposed to come in a milky clear vinyl. Yep. No word if the song has been remixed. Hmm. Tom's on. All right. I'm already in line. <laughs> so is Joe. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get that. Yep. So that's it for the news. Although you were telling me, uh, Tom, actually all of you, that there's a new video that's out for uh, yeah, it's yes, Johnny's um, birthday. It's Johnny's birthday. Yeah, I was just right be like ten minutes before we we hooked up. Um, I I saw it was on YouTube and I saw in my notifications that there was a new George Harrison video. So I went on there and it's a uh, it's a nice little animated video for it's Johnny's birthday. The song from the uh, what the third disc on uh, All Things Must Pass. So it Apple was Jam. Uh, Apple Jam, yeah. So it was a fun little uh, animated video. So check it out. Yeah, only a one minute song. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But what a minute! Please. Yeah. So I was just curious if that was brand new or if that had been done long ago. And I didn't know if anybody, anybody else has seen that before. So mm, I haven't. I have not. I have. Do you know where the melody came from that song? Mm-mm. It's Shawnee's birthday. It came from a hit record that Cliff Richard had in the UK called Congratulations. Oh, wow. And George barred it from that and so, added new lyrics so, to that. So, so George was sued for the wrong song then. 
he borrowed it. <laughs> he borrowed. Thank you, kid. Okay. All right. Maybe he got the you know Cliff's permission. You never know. <laughs> anyway, so that's it for Beetle News, and uh, we move on to our interview with Ken Womack, who, as we said, has his new book out, showing it once again. John Lennon, nineteen eighty. The Last Days in the Life. I'd just like to start by saying that I think that this is definitely a wonderful book. And uh, what I like most about it is that it really covers very well the last five years of John Lennon's life. And um, I was a bit concerned um, when I heard about this book, mainly because of the fact that so many books that have come out after John's death about that period, you could describe as being salacious um, but this is definitely not that. It's a very positive book about the relationship that John and Yoko had together and all of John's activities. And if you're wondering what he did the last five years of his life, it's there in Ken's book. And, um, you know, I, I just think kudos to you, Ken. You did an excellent job with this. Thank and, you. Um, you know, basically, you know, in a nutshell, when you when you read everything that's in this book, you will know that John spent a lot of time taking care of Sean, watching television, reading books, writing music, doing quite a bit of that, and uh, going on a lot of vacations until 1980, when he got the bug to really want to go back into the recording studio. But that's what I love how detailed the book is, and the fact that you centered more on uh, the positive aspects of John and Yoko's relationship and the music. Agreed. I'll second that. Well, mm -hmm. I, did, I didn't think we needed another true crime book. You know, it, uh, <laughs> we needed a, a meaningful story about the way this person that we all admire so much launched this really powerful comeback. And yeah. uh, sadly doesn't even get to see really the fruits of it and how much joy it brought people. Right. Before I pass you over to Tom, um, I think one of the other great things about this book is that um, there are some of us who uh, were fortunate to listen to the Lost Lennon Tapes radio series when it was on the radio and even collected the music from that series on bootleg. I think, I've said this many times, I think it's Yoko's greatest gift that she ever gave John Lennon fans. Although that Imagine box set's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for those of us that know what John was doing musically, you put it all in perspective here and connect the dots as far as songs that he worked on early on that later surfaced on Double Fantasy and Milk and Honey. So for people that don't really know all about that, that's a definite advantage. That is such a good point, Ken. And, and she really did give us an incredible gift, um, you know, of something that literally was worth millions of dollars. And she shared it with the world uh, via that, that series. Uh, there's actually an excellent compendium which uh, uh, catalogs it, um, mm. which is quite effective. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, without that, um, you know, there's so many incredible uh, foundational sources out there when it comes to John Lennon, and that's one of the most important ones. Mm. Mm. You're talking about Eight Arms to Hold You? Uh, Eight Arms to Hold You is certainly wonderful. Um, uh, Ken Sharp's book on uh, the double fantasy sort of mm. oral history. Right. Um, Linenology, Chip Mattinger's work is yeah. fantastic. Yes. I mean, like, uh, you know, just the all of the wonderful <laughs> interviews uh, that fortunately were conducted and recorded with John and Yoko. 
uh, during that last year. I mean, think about the wealth of material we have in that moment um, compared to maybe the lack of a wealth of material we have to understand even 1969 still. Uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's fortunate that we have all of those, those sources to be able to draw from and bring this story together. Um, but not the one that's salacious, the one where we, we see a person doing what they love and doing what they do best. Mm, well said. Okay, mm. Tom? Well, another great gift that Yoko gave us was actually a gift that she gave to John was that uh, Yamaha CP80 electric you know, <laughs> piano, which probably you know, gave us all this music that we can talk about uh, today. But, but Ken, really beautiful job on the book. Um, I, you know, the first two chapters, uh, I really love how you write about the, the, the Dakota and you know, describing it as maybe you know, a second place where John can go when he felt low or when he felt blue or whatever like that. And, you know, talk about the Dakota. I mean, was it the, while you were writing it, did you have like a sense that this was probably another security blanket for John while he lived in such a, you know, crazy city at the time? Probably so. I mean, it was a place that more than one person has noted uh, looks like Strawberry Field, uh, mm. the old orphanage. Um, it certainly was a place where they chose to live uh, they moved expressly from, you know, the village right. up, up, uh, uptown, um, you know, and by the way, speaking of uh, all the wealth of scholarship that's out there, Scott Cardinal's wonderful book on, on the Dakota. I mean, mm. you know, those are labors of love uh, works like that. And uh, in fact, I would have liked to have seen Scott on, on 2020 last week, um, mm. you know, because the story of that building, it's like a character in this story. Right. It really is. Yeah. It's ultimately, you know, an inanimate object, but it's really a character. Um, it's been used as a character, right? Right. <laughs> Mary's baby and that sort of thing. So it, it's uh, just essential understanding um, how that place functions in John and Yoko's lives. Um, of course, the, the feeling of security that it provides, um, but can't quite provide, of course, right. um, in a world gone mad. But it, it really is... Uh, it has so much to do with uh, living in New York, right? And, and one of my most important goals with this book was to, and I spent a lot of time up in the Upper West Side, talking to folks, getting a sense of what life is like now, which is very, very different. And I don't mean COVID now, but what life is like now is very different from 1980 when the city was, uh, um, you know, as Ken Michaels can tell you, a far more dangerous place. Um, you know, you didn't necessarily walk across the street and spend time in the park after dark. You right. mostly lived in your neighborhood. John's would have gone to what, Amsterdam Avenue or so. And, mm. and that's where you went to your doctor and your pharmacist and, uh, you know, those sorts of things. That's where you had your bodega and, you know, your coffee nook uh, or what have you. So, um, life was very different then. And I, I wanted us to be able to try to capture that in these moments while we still can, because of course, yeah. if you walk down that street now, right. Um, you know, you walk down 72nd toward the river, um, you're going to, you're going to walk out on the Avenue and you're going to see a lot of what CVS's everywhere and <laughs> mm. Gregory's coffee and all of this other business, you know, two Chipotle's within sight. Mm. Um, you know, it's just a different world. And to try to capture the flavor of that while we still can, I think is important too. Right. You know, Ken, even the, the Dakota building itself, I've always noticed, I remember it back then, was a lot more dramatic looking. It seemed like there was years of soot on it or something very dark. <laughs> well, Whereas um, now, it's always much cleaner. For a while, it's been that way. And when you see it recreated in certain documentaries uh, dealing with John and other, other 
things about the Pagoda. It looks so much more cleansed than it was. Then. <laughs> it and it was, cool. you know, yeah. and it, it wasn't it. Well, it, the city was literally dirtier back then. And uh, I had a, a wonderful walk around the, the area with our friend Susan Radisher Ryan that we all know so well and hopefully is doing well tonight. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she turned me on to uh, sources that helped me understand um, all of the ordinances that began to come into play. Uh, really right in the months uh, after John died. And one of those ordinances was about the upkeep of, of the city's buildings. Um, and so you can go back and look at those photos. It's amazing how grimy the place is. And of course, uh, many of these ordinances kicked in not long after that. And suddenly the building's looking so much better. <laughs> but there, but yeah. there, there were a number of ordinances like that uh, that mm -hmm. took place. Um, even the park uh, there was a huge con conservation uh, ordinance uh, and the creation of the Central Park Conservatory right. uh, occurred not long, maybe even right between his death and the new year mm. uh, in 1981, that happened. Weren't you talking like uh, um, somebody was witnessing people taking whether like a picnic table or taking it apart and using it as firewood or something like that in the book? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean- funny. <laughs> yeah, but it's true, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's it's true. Um, there were, you know, many, many stories uh, like that. You just have to, you know, I kept right. that one because it was the most uh, interesting one. And it certainly gave a, a mm -hmm. stark impression of, of what life was like, you right. know, or, uh, you know, the different levels of gentrification, Giuliani, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that yeah. city's probably made itself and remade itself, what, four times since then? Hmm. Yeah. You know, one thing I was reading, I, I didn't know, I didn't really know that Yoko was really into like the supernatural, you know, like getting a medium to check out the place before they moved in, you know, having, um, you know, astrologer tell her about Fred Seaman before he was became like the assistant, you know, just to see if he could, you know, do the job or whatnot. I, I, was, I found that interesting. Um, another thing that you write about, um, you know, all the cr the creative you know, spurts here and there that John had during that five-year span, whether it was the Battle of John and Yoko musical or just, you know, songs like, you know, Free as a Bird or Real Love. You know, what what do you think, you know, while you're writing this book, what do you think kind of like if you were getting into his mind, what do you think like held him up or stopped him from following through with those projects? I, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful question. And I don't draw any conclusions because we don't know, right, what was in his yeah. And we... I don't think we could say with any real confidence. Um, what we do see him doing as he goes through all of those different kinds of um, genres uh, and ends mm -hmm. up coming back to the one we all know and love, right? Which is pop music, rock music, you know, mm -hmm. vocal music, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think he's trying to find his voice um, during a strange time. The guy's exhausted. Right. Uh, you know, we all, we've detailed why on this show before, right? I mean, he spent uh, all of those years in the Beatles, you know, George Harrison uh, more than once talks about how you lose your nervous system. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you've got that aspect. You have the issue of, um, you know, in addition to that, you've got the fact that um, he's had this more than one lawsuit, certainly, but the immigration fight, most notably, that goes right. on and on. Sure. Um, and prevents him from being able to go back to England, for example, or travel abroad. Um, not to mention, you know, there's this threat that's hanging over his head. Um, and he's being called out by the president. He's on the president's enemies list, right? <laughs> and apparently, you know, that was a dubious honor for many, but there it was. 
So um, I think he's just flat out exhausted and probably feels like he should be doing something, uh, but maybe understands at some level that he's earned the right to take some time off. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, and of course, what is they have an infant uh, at the end of the year, toward the end of the year. And, and of course, that's another level of exhaustion altogether. Is right. Out there, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. And a very severe one at that. So I, I just think the guy in many levels is just tired. Mm. Um, and of course, then he's watching this world sort of spin by him and become ever more competitive. I mean, the 1970s is such a an incredibly um, uh, fecund period for the musical arts, right? It just doesn't stop. And, you know, by the time you get to 1980, there are there are a lot of people vying for the top slot or any right. of the slots. Yeah. The, um, you know, you were on a, a, another show that we won't name at the moment, but I'm sure Ken will talk about it later. But <laughs> anyways, um, you, you talked about how proud you were about you know, discovering the, the baseball film, the made for TV film. And I was wondering if you can just elaborate that on, on that a little bit more, you know, talk about the research into, into find or discovering, you know, the movie. Well, I'm, you know, as we all know, there aren't that many more discoveries out there in Beetledom right. um, other than trying to tell the stories right, to gather the sources, be good scholars and all of that. Um, but I was really surprised no one had run down that movie, quite mm. frankly. why did, I figured Mark Lewison would have gotten it because uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and he's always the first person I go to when I have mm. any idea. Do, do you have this? You know, um, and he usually does. Let's face it. Mm. He's um, just uh, extraordinary uh, in all the best ways. Um, but I was surprised that no one had run it down. And I was even thinking to myself, well, you know, I mean, it's possible that, um, and through no fault of her own, Yoko might've misremembered this, um, you know, uh, after suffering just the indescribable horror of what she experienced and then her widowhood, um, she would be forgiven, right? <laughs> right yeah. uh, if she was trying to gather her memories and, and remember that. And so I simply just wanted to know what it was. And so uh, began canvassing every baseball film under the world, uh, in the world, uh, which is, there are many, many baseball films, by the way. Right. Uh, and there was even a heyday for decades <clears throat> where, you know, 10 or 20 of the things would come out every year. And I love baseball. So mm -hmm. You know, uh, and sadly, my team did not proceed to the World Series um, in all their Houston Astros unglory. I really <laughs> want to know what the film was. And, um, you know, one thing we know about John Lennon that's been well documented is he loves television. Right. And uh, he was a subscriber of TV Guide wherever he was. And uh, I assumed correctly that he had continued that practice in Bermuda. And, uh, once I discovered, uh, after going through all of these, you know, baseball movies, trying to find this quote and, and unsuccessfully looking for the moment when he's inspired, you know, by Robert Browning, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I went to TV Guide, found out that Bermuda had American television syndicated during that period, despite being a British protectorate. And uh, was able to collate it and find out that it was this TV movie, which, of course, is like a dead end because, you know, so many TV movies have not been digitized. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I don't believe this one was either. I had to uh, hire someone to digitize an old videotape and mm. there it was. <laughs> <laughs> and it, out, of the, out of the mouth of a character, uh, Edward Herman playing uh, Lou Gehrig um, and Blythe Danner is the receiver yes. of the lovely 
of the lovely piece. And of course awesome. that gave it John all he needed those first couple of lines and he was off to the races. Mm. Cool. Oh. Very cool. So I probably gave far too much of an expansive answer there, but no, uh, I love it. That's yeah, great. but it's exciting yeah. stuff. And you know, it it, it's, uh, it's, it's so in keeping with his compositional practices, right? Here's a guy who loved to find things out in the world and bring mm -hmm. them into his story. And you know, the truth is, um, many of these things that he brings into his story are very profound, but we wouldn't know about them if John right. Lennon didn't weave them into his songs. Yeah. No, I'm sure this is a moment where, you know, you as a writer, you know, or researcher, this is like your, your, your Lewison type moment where you, you discover <laughs> something, you know. I won Lewison. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's something to be proud of for sure. Good one. So, yeah. Ken? Yeah, I was going to say that, um, what we didn't say was prior to this happening that Yoko had just written Let Me Count the Ways and that didn't right. she sing it over the phone to him? Yeah, that's uh, in her memory. She sings it over the phone to him and uh, and then says, well, John, you write something in return. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, this was a I'm not saying it was in this particular instance, but when you go back and you study the long reach of of all of the words he left behind in interviews and other places, he did not like to write, to use his own phrase from another point, like a performing flea. Mm. So in other words, you know, he didn't enjoy going to write A Hard Day's Night for Dick Lester, who said, write me a song. Um, he liked those things that came like a bolt out of the blue. And I think he got to enjoy that world by initially not having anything to give back to Yoko, but then turning on his good friend, the television, and there it was. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, it was a browning. And they had this, uh, this thing about the brownings, right? They, uh, they loved the brownings. They imagined themselves as some kind of rock and roll reincarnation of the Victorian poets. Uh, and, and they also were well aware that, uh, like Yoko, uh, Elizabeth Barrett was older than Robert. Um, and so they, they connected with them on a certain level that way. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Kit? Um, well, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you, you mentioned just a, a minute ago, Ken, about the music scene at the time and how competitive it was. And um, I, you and you talk about that a bit in the book about, uh, you know, John trying to kind of navigate his way through through the music scene. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, because like you mentioned, you know, he would listen to certain kinds of, of uh, you know, reggae and, and so forth, but that he wasn't particularly fond of the punk scene. And, and uh, you know, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what he what he thought of the music of, of that late 70s, uh, 1980 period. Well, and, and that's a tough thing to comment on, right? Because we have to, for the most part, we get a lot of that information secondhand. We know he had a jukebox uh, that he kept records in, but guess what? We know for the most part the kind of records he kept in there because he was a connoisseur and a walking encyclopedia of knowledge about 50s rock and roll. And he would tell anybody this. Um, he, he could not necessarily remember what happened during a certain Beatles recording or what album perhaps it was on, but he knew his 50s rock and roll. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he liked, uh, he, he liked disco. We know this. Uh, he liked reminiscing. He liked Just the Way You Are. He liked Billy Joel, um, not surprisingly. He wasn't the only one in the United States, right? Um, <laughs> he did have a great affinity uh, for reggae that had been developing over a period of years. 
Um, but that kind of gets me to something that, uh, that just fascinates me when you really take that deep dive, you know, he was watching the shows we were watching. You know, he was, uh, you know, just me, it was uh, the sad part for me of the story is not necessarily knowing how it was in, because I knew I wasn't going to, you know, take you into the archway or anything. Um, what was sad for me was just the, the nostalgia for realizing that he was watching and listening to much of the same things we were, because the world was a smaller place, right? Um, and people had more shared experiences, you know, the end of MASH. Or, or what have you, you know, those sorts of things. Or one of his favorite news stories that we were all following, you know, the hostage crisis. I hate like hell that he didn't get to find out how that ended. Hmm. You know, that, that that, I mean, I know that's kind of a minor silly thing for him to been been robbed of when he was robbed of so much more, his family, um, you know, uh, watching Sean grow up, all those things. But um, I just remember what a part of our lives it, it was, you know, people tying yellow ribbons around their trees and neighborhoods across the country. And um, it just excited me to, to discover all of those kind of shared experiences, Saturday Night Live, right? Mm. You know, um, you know, just all of that. Uh, I know this is going far afield from your excellent question, um, but we, we typically, we understand a lot of the music you listen to because we fortunately, depending on whom you ask, you know, Fred Seaman was in the car and, and would keep track of such things. Um, because otherwise we don't have a lot of great sources, um, you know, who are out there keeping track of things. I think the best material that Fred left behind uh, that Hunter Davies collected were all of those lists. Um, I wish we had more of those amazing lists of John, what he was interested in, the nonfiction he wanted to read, you know, um, the products he was buying, because we were buying them blues. too. He's interested in sugar blues. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I'm endlessly fascinated by that, you know, um, just that kind of centrality of, of culture that existed. Well, and actually, that, that kind of leads to my next question about what he was listening to, because one of the other things I was, I was fascinated with in the book was how you talk quite a bit about one song that he worked on, and, and I certainly knew about it, but um, his parody of uh, Bob Dylan's Gotta Serve Somebody, uh, Serve Yourself, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and I had, I had heard, um, you know, Dutch imports of that before, the and uh, <laughs> a what? The obscene version? Yes, I've heard. Yeah, I've, you know, there, there are different versions. And, uh, but I, I was really interested in, in you know, you really, um, you know, went into detail and, you know, really showed how we went back to it and back to it and back to it. And I was just wondering if, if um, you could talk a little bit about, you know, why do you think, you know, he worked so long on it? And, and what do you think that said, you know, what does that say about, you know, his journey you know, going back to being, you know, to, to kind of getting his, his mojo back, if, if uh, <laughs> to put it in a non-technical way. Well, well done on the non-technical part. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I know that I'm, I'm, not everyone agrees with me on this, but to my mind, uh, that episode is very much, um, it's like it's like how do you sleep right where he comes back to that song many times especially in those late interviews and he says it wasn't about paul it was about me um and obviously the lyrics were about paul they're very pointedly about paul mccartney but um but the the idea that the person he's disappointed in is not paul it's himself 
And um, you can see this emerging in that very interesting audio diary from the fall of 1979, where he's just, he's castigating himself over a number of issues, over a wide number of issues. And um, I, I, he's at some level, he's disappointed himself, perhaps that he's not in the game um, or that he wants to be in the game. <laughs> uh, and there's Dylan with a hit, Bob Dylan with a hit, right? You know, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> Uh, mm. as we know, over the course of, of his career, uh, all of his accolades aside, and uh, there's Bob with a hit. And, uh, and it's, of course, they've had this kind of, uh, from John's perspective, uh, odd relationship almost from the beginning, parody of Norwegian Wood, you know, uh, John's just dis-ease with him that you see uh, for, for many years. This, this approach he has to Dylan. And here Dylan comes out with this song that's, you know, quasi-religious uh, and even gospel, gospel-esque. And uh, it gets under his skin. And I wonder if at a certain point, Serve Yourself was, was like How Do You Sleep in the sense that it seemed like it was excoriating Bob Dylan, but he was really commenting back on himself um, for reasons that we probably can't entirely understand. You know, it's just interesting. I, I just uh, found it fascinating as, you know, I, I always thought of it as, you know, always he's just, you know, having some fun, but you really shed some new light on that song uh, in the book because I just thought, wow, I never really thought of it being as, you know, kind of part of his journey of, of you know, this journey of, of finding himself creatively, of getting back to, you know, getting his spark back, um, as, as you talk about. And, and uh, you know, so I thought it was fascinating that, um, you know, that you went into detail about him, how he just went back to it and back to it and back to it. And, uh, um, you know, it was just, uh, I just thought that was a particularly interesting uh, <laughs> part of the book, of the many, you know, many interesting parts of the book, but, uh, but that one really fascinated me. At a certain level, you have to wonder if he was using it as this way to get an energy bump, right? To yeah, uh, you know, to step back into the fray by really going after Dylan or after these issues that he saw and felt were discrepancies in himself or what have you. Uh, but it is fascinating that song, um, and you know, and it's not on Double Fantasy. No, <laughs> <Nope>. it <Right? laughs> didn't make the final cut. I was always wondering if he, if uh, John was jealous in a way, uh, resentful that he wasn't doing it, or uh, with the Bob Dylan uh, in the diaries when he says now he's a waiter for Christ, or that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, and yeah, <laughs> you know, it's talking about Paul Simon. You know, so some people believe well, you know, that's when you're jealous or you're you're bitter or something like that. Did he genuinely, I wonder, dislike the songs, or or is he just? envious because later on of course we know when he heard coming up by paul mccartney that's always a, a wonderful story that's always one of my favorites uh right but of course he's in a different frame of mind by then right he's sure, decided he's amazing. going to learn how to sail he's uh hmm. you know uh he's got a couple of these songs in a pretty good place at that point right um so uh i think his mindset's different uh at that point he's disappointed in himself uh for a number of reasons, some are personal, right? In 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 the fall of 1979. So I, 
I think it's all of those emotions that you just described, Joe, you know, every one of them. Um, he was probably envious. He probably disappointed himself. He was probably, he said that he would hear things on the radio and, and rarely would anything excite him uh, where he would think they really nailed it. Apparently one of those fortunately was coming up. Right. Um, uh, in other cases though, he would change the station because all I could think about is what they did wrong or how the song could be made better. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I think we could safely say that, you know, one of the the biggest um, uh, perhaps negative ramifications of the many gifts that John Lennon had was his ability to be such a surgical thinker and to get to the heart of his issues with uh, with himself or with music or what have you, because that was a hell of a burden for him to carry around. You know, at a certain level, I wonder if it sapped some of the enjoyment he might have had out of some experiences, you know. At the it's same been amazing time, to me to think how yeah. John uh, didn't have that much confidence in the stuff, especially the stuff that he was thinking of doing on Double Fantasy, and uh, you know, even Jack Douglas was like, "Oh, this, you know, this is great, but it's going to be this is going to be the single, like starting over, for example, yeah, and all that kind of stuff." Which I was reading about, I thought that he did such a great job of that too. I just wanted to throw that in because. Um, I, even I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with this stuff, but to learn the way you put it all in sequence, when we're talking about actually recording Double Fantasy, and we get the order in which they worked broken down, you know, you break it down nicely. You could find this maybe in other places, but you break it all down great. You know, what was the first thing? Interesting that so much of the stuff wasn't on the finished album. It came out later, some of it, on, on uh, Milk and Honey. Right, right. Mm. That's always interesting, and the whole cheap trick uh, you know, gig that they did on, on Losing You and what happened with that, I found very interesting too. So it's funny, but going back to what I was saying, John's lack of confidence, you know, it's really striking. I mean, we all, he always knew that he would tell you when he was insecure, when he didn't have confidence. Uh, he didn't try to hide that, but uh, we think he's such a great writer, such a great musician, such an artist, yet he really didn't have that much faith in his material at times. I think that's what's so amazing, though, is how he would be vulnerable in that way. You know, I, I used the phrase earlier, I was reading this wonderful bit this morning where he was talking about why he is does what he does. And he said, there's a reason why I'm a, you know, I'm a performing flea. I need this. He needed to put himself out there, even though it petrified him at times and it made him feel paranoid and insecure. Um, and imagine, again, going back to what we were talking about, coming back in 1980 and trying to do it in that field. Wow. You know, um, that's really something. And if that doesn't make you feel insecure when you launch yourself into that world, um, I don't know what would unless you simply didn't have those impulses. And I just love the story that Yoko shares with us. And she's, you know, um, to her credit, perhaps she hasn't given us too much. Uh, but the things she does are, I, I find so very poignant. And one of those is that great story, you know, a week or so before he's murdered. And, and she knows how important the success of that album is to him. And she brings it to him. She's worried that he's going to be upset. And he says, that's okay. We've still got the family. That just kills mm. me. Yeah. You know, because think about it. John Lennon, five, six years earlier, would he have done that? 
you know, he would have perhaps gone into a depression or locked himself away for a few weeks to really, you know, really suffer for that. But instead, he just knows what's important. And in my mind, and, and I may be putting words in his mouth here, to me, I think he did enjoy that experience so much of what they were doing with the interviews, you know, with just his engagement with the music. And of course, the incredible engagement with Walking on Thin Ice. I like to think that he realized that it was the experience that mattered more than whether or not it's going to be number one. But of course, at that point in the book, you just want to go to John and say, don't worry, it's going to be number one. <laughs> Got a question from the audience uh, from Matthew Smith, a uh, faithful listener hey, of ours. Matt, absolutely. Um, he asked, did you get to talk to the cheap trick guys? <laughs> uh, I did not get to talk to the cheap trick guys and it's not for lack of trying um i have been trying to get i, I guess i need to uh well i'm just not the i'm just not a stalker um but it's not for lack of trying i've wanted yep, to with it, Ken. I, I i i was uh, i was actually lined up to be able to talk to rick nielsen and it fell through and uh and then there was another opportunity uh and it got coveted um which i believe is a verb it, it is, is now. now. Um, but yeah. <laughs> no, I absolutely did not. And I, I wanted to before because, of course, uh, one of my favorite Cheap Tricks albums, cheap, cheap Trick albums was produced by George Martin. Mm. Yep. I love All Shook Up. It's a great record. And uh, I, it sounds like they had a great experience, too. <laughs> Maybe they didn't like the way just, things turned out. Um, in the end, yeah. you know, with the, what they did with John and Yoko, you know, maybe they weren't happy. Uh, I don't know. I No, I just, uh, I haven't been able to pull that one off, unfortunately. And in this case, you know, there were there were two of them you want to talk to, Bunny Carlos and Rick Nielsen. Yeah, that's for sure. And Is by the way, true? if anybody has any questions out there, please, I'm, uh, I'm keeping an eye on Facebook here. So please feel free to post them. We'll get to them if we can. So my, my favorite interview, uh, well, it was John Smith, the engineer, uh, uh, who worked on so much of this music he was just he was very young when he when he worked on this project and um you can kind of hear that in his voice he brings those those memories from you know being in your 20s or whatever uh when you're working with john lennon um and i love talking to dave Sholin, who i i was pleased to see got um got some got some footage last week with abc he is uh what a what a person right uh Amaya, as ken could tell you you know he's been in radio a long time <laughs> and uh can you, can you tell us how long it took from from start to finish from the moment you started the project to its official release date I, about four years oh wow wow i mean trying to get a timeline going um yeah. you know like like i've said at, at the outset there are a lot of wonderful sources you can go to um, you know, at trying to understand that timeline and working with those, uh, with the output from the lost linen tapes, um, you know, was an undertaking. Wow. So you work on several books at the same time? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Doesn't that get kind of tricky? <laughs> uh, it would, except um, I, I have a system of folders on my computer where I put stuff. <laughs> You know, and so um, there, there's so many different rhythms when you're working on a, you know, a long scholarly project. And when you find things that, uh, you know, like all that wonderful stuff with Manny's music, you know, uh, mm. 
I throw that in the file. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I try to keep it organized so that when the writing time comes, it's in a reasonable sort of order. I build timelines, I make lots of notes, um, you know, those sorts of things just to, to keep it in order. At a certain point though, um, you know, you can't organize it till you start writing it, um, if that makes any, any yeah. sense. And I'll tell you why, because you think you have the timeline right, and then lo and behold, you're writing away and you're at, I don't know, let's make up a month, February 1979 or something. And you realize you had one item out of place and you have to go back because <laughs> the ramifications play down the line. You've been talking about the writing of this one song and its demos and you made a mistake or you've discovered something about the timeline and it just, uh, it blows up in your face and you sort of have to uh, go back and unstitch, <laughs> you know, until yeah. you find out where you sewed the wrong thing in. Wow. When you, when I you, were, talking, like you were talking about John's insecurities and, and listening to the radio and being critical of certain music, he also admitted that um, he would hear songs and if these songs were ones that he really liked, he didn't want to listen to the whole song because he'd be jealous that it wasn't him. <laughs> but also he would want to go out and write one just to make him want to write one. I believe he liked it enough. Yeah, mm. it must be an amazing thing, right? To be in that rare, rare, rarefied air where you can do that too. Right. You know, I, I never have a problem listening to the radio because <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know, I, I don't even imagine competing in that arena. And yet there's, he's a guy who has seen the highest heights um, you know, and so when he hears the songs, um, his recommendations mean a lot. I love the postcard he sends to Ringo where he says, you should do a song like that Blondie's Heart of Glass. Well, we know from the Playboy interview that he liked Blondie and he liked the Talking Heads, uh, Bruce Springsteen's Hungry Heart. You know, there was a lot of new music at the time that he was into and of course, when he was in the Bahamas and he heard the B-52s, Rock Lobster, that gave him the sign there that maybe the world is ready for Yoko. So, you know. I've been struck by how much uh, you can hear the talking heads and like every man has a woman who loves him and all of those, uh, those great tunes. There's a lot of, she's really, uh, she's got her finger on the pulse of something back then. Hmm. And I especially love when you're talking about Double Fantasy, how supportive each of the two of them were for each other. You really bring that out a lot. I mean, yeah. didn't you say that originally Yoko wanted Side 2 to be hers so it wouldn't interfere with John's songs? Right. There was a whole debate about this and it's, um, and it's fairly well documented. But you know what, what I love about that is it's kind of the... Um, I don't know, the antidote to all of the salacious books written about them, right? Mm. Who's doing whom and what and whatever, you know? And what's interesting is that's 12 years into their marriage and whatever's happening or happened with them. And we know that, you know, <laughs> uh, we know about the Lost Weekend. This is all well-versed for us mm. uh, and, uh, and their challenges with substance abuse and you name it. But 12 years into their marriage, they had figured out how to be supportive of each other. And uh, I find that heartwarming, you know, and if that's what their marriage was at that point, good for them. You know, I, I mean, the scenes with David Geffen, and again, these have been well documented, but they're wonderful, you know, where he's taking David Geffen aside and he's like, this is important for Yoko. We need to help Yoko. And then she's pulling him aside 
I really want this to work for John, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, whatever else happened and who cares at a certain point, whatever else happened, that's what they're doing, you know? Yeah. And, and, he, and that kind of energy that John had for walking on thin ice and, and even that last evening, right? When he says, this is the direction. <laughs> like he's found it hmm. um, in his last hours. Of course, he doesn't know that, uh, but that he's found the direction. You know, as far as we're concerned, he's found the direction over and over again. <laughs> hmm. But it's kind of interesting when Double Fantasy first came out, a lot of the reviews found Yoko stuff more favorable because it was more modern, keeping with the times. It was edgy, whereas John was like a throwback to his old style. But we don't know with all that John was into, Maybe right. his own stuff might have sounded more like walking on thin ice. It might have after that. Have, right. yeah. yeah, I mean, imagine, um, I, and we'll never know, but imagine what he would have done after they had that, you know, that incredible week and how he brought that track off and, and, and his excitement over, you know, the wonderful work Yoko had done and this, this thing they'd created together with Jack at the record plant you've got to wonder where this was going to go, right? Mm. Uh, he might have become, I, I think he would have become very avant-garde very quickly. Uh, just a couple of uh, viewer questions here. One from a good friend of all of ours, uh, John Bazzini of uh, the hey, great, John. yeah, the great, uh, great uh, Facebook group, uh, uh, Beatles and Solo in, uh, and uh, in print. He asks, uh, any revelations about the track Jack Douglas claims he uh, was going to be given co-writing credit on with John called Street of Dreams? And yeah, I, and I, I, like many, I've asked Jack about that and he has the basic nuance of the story down. Um, you know, where they were walking and a sense of what kind of song it would be, but you know, at this point, that's all I think we've got. That's all that he remembers. But um, I love it because it, it just shows you how how profound John's imagination was at that point and how um, and how effective uh, um, he was at just conjuring music and, and language out of thin air. He he really had his gifts back. You could you can almost feel it. Um, and you have to wonder what songs perhaps weren't even recorded as demos. And again, Yoko's been incredibly generous, as you said, Ken, by opening up the vault and and sharing the lost linen tapes with us. But um, you know, what what only existed in manuscript form that hadn't quite yet made it uh, yeah. onto tape? Because uh, he really had some beautiful stuff he was working on there. And another viewer, uh, faithful viewer of ours, uh, Jeremy uh, Portarala, who hey, asked Jeremy. him, hey, 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 Jeremy, yeah, um, <laughs> asks, uh, did you get to speak with Hugh McCracken before he died? The story of what John told him about his past and working with Paul on Ram <laughs> is a great story, too. Yeah, I love that. Like he uh, he'd auditioned <laughs> for John by doing Ram. Yeah, that's beautiful stuff. I, di I did not get to speak to Hugh. And by the way, John Bazzini uh, does such a great service out there with his um, his Facebook pages. I learn things all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, the same can be said about the, the folks who run the my call, right? Uh, and others who run the Dakota pages and the, you know, there's a Lost Weekend page, those 1965, <laughs> 1980 pages. And what a great community they've all built. You know, it, um, I learn so much from them every day. Yep. Wow. Here, here. Right. And you even say in your book uh, about Hugh McCracken, 
He was the uh, only player specifically chosen for double fantasy. Yeah, so apparently that audition really paid off. <laughs> really auditioned well. Uh, that's right. Um, although, you know, talking to, uh, I guess, there is a sense, right, that uh, while John didn't pick him, that Slick was chosen very carefully by Jack as kind of, uh, in, in Slick's own words, or I guess Jack's, you know, he's the wild card. Um, and mm. he really did function that way. I love the uh, the story you tell about uh, uh, Charlie Roth, the uh, the kid that comes in and helps him out with the uh, the electric piano, uh, and you know it kind of seems like when you're writing about him, like he you know he's telling John about how he records his songs where he does the you know the drums and the and it almost seems like he's inspiring him to get back into the game with just with just his stories about you know how he records songs. Yeah, we're very fortunate. Charlie recorded those ideas, included his story, including the the interesting bit where John comes back on his own to get the hummingbird. Hummingbird, right? You yeah. know, uh, because how would we have known that? <laughs> um, and and uh, you know, the echoes of those stories are interesting too, like the fact that Charlie wasn't Charlie and his band recording down the hall. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know that it it's just interesting. Again, I'll take it back to where it was. It was such an interesting smaller world. Yeah. Uh, back there through the mists of time. Free internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah In some way, we, we have so much more now, arguably, but yet sometimes less was more. You know, the same reasons you're saying, Ken. I think yeah, we, we, times what you're saying is how I describe it. I say, you know, uh, even on TV, you know, we had a few, fewer channels and we had so much more. Everybody was tuned in together, kind of. Everybody was seeing Jaws together. Everybody, mm. everybody had to see. There's more the unity. Yeah. 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 And there was more, dis you know, the water cooler discussion really meant something the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you were really talking about some kind of shared experience. Um, and, and we just don't, we just don't have that uh, in the same way, certainly. I mean, there are plenty of things. <laughs> we're certainly having some shared experiences right now in, in the world. <laughs> There's no, <doubt. laughs> um, we may not all see them the way, but the same way, but, but we really, we really, really are. So uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, but I, I did enjoy that, you know, thinking, you know, when John would make some remark in, in some place or another about a TV show, and I'd think, I was watching that too. There's one <laughs> show. Did, did, did anybody ever see the skit that he, he talked about? One of these interviews, he talked about a skit on Saturday Night Live where they were doing John and Yoko and John was running around saying, oh, the oven's burning or something like that. Well, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's on, you can see it on, on Saturday Night Live. It's, uh, it's all out there. <laughs> right. That one, I, yeah. that one I don't remember seeing. Yeah, I don't recall it either. Maybe I was, uh, my parents didn't let me stay up that night. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd have to go back to that moment. But yeah, right. you can find that. Uh, I went, you know, I, if there were any video, I always tried to go back and watch it. Um, yeah, they were playing off the whole house husband thing and right. taking care of Sean and very timely, you know. Yeah, and there was that weird reaction to him, right? Um, uh, the week before that, before the album came out, they did some weird thing where uh, one of the, wasn't one of the not ready for primetime players, but one of the, the next level folks were out there like walking around the Dakota asking questions, you know. Uh, and of course, none of it looks very funny now at all. <laughs> yeah, that didn't age well. No, yeah. no. And yes, Joe, the building was quite sooty. Was this during the uh, Was this during the original five years or the the rebuild in eighty? This would have been. I think it was the rebuild. 
Okay. So well, then it's not, really yeah. not fun. Charles yeah. Rocket. Yeah. Charles yeah. Rocket. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's I not ready for prime that. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of them weren't ready. <laughs> later plays David Addison's brother on Moonlighting. Yes, I remember that. Yes, sir. Yep. I remember that. Uh, we have just another uh, one more comment here from Michael Slum, who hey. says, yep, it says, uh, he says that sailing to Bermuda story was so intense. I'm actually from Newport, Rhode Island. So it was interesting. You got so much inside info on that. Well, it, it's, uh, you know, it's all out there and it's, um, it's a great story. It and sure is. Uh, it really is a great story. And uh, Michael Sloan, by the way, is a really talented uh, singer in his own right. Um, lives out in Princeton out here. Um, oh. proud to, yeah, proud to know him. But yeah, it's a great story, isn't it? About uh, about John talking about how just in, empowered he felt. And it was this special moment in his life. And, you know, again, it takes me back, like I said, with that that last night. John Lennon uh, discovering the greatest moments in his life. And we could have named hundreds of them <laughs> for him, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but maybe it's the excitement over doing something seemingly for himself. Mm. Great. Yeah. I've got a question about the double fantasy sessions. I found this really interesting um, because it was always my impression, at least prior to double fantasy, that for John's solo albums, when it came to his own songs, he knew how they wanted the sound roughly and he would tell the musicians what to play. And if the musicians came up with something better, he would in most cases accept it if he liked it. But with Double Fantasy, the songs were charted. And right, you so have the name of uh, Tony DeVilio. Tony DeVilio, right. Yeah. I think uh, Tony, Tony was the secret weapon and kudos to Jack Douglas for making that project move forward by having an arranger. Um, now, when you go back and listen to the outtakes, there are plenty of moments where John's like, drummer, don't do that, <laughs> you know, or um, in fact, he kind of picked on poor Andy Newmark a little bit. He's like, if you'd start listening, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's fun stuff to listen to, you know, or, or, you know, Slick wouldn't be there or what have you. So it's, um, it's interesting stuff uh, to listen to because he still does some of that same old kind of behavior, Ken. But um, I think it was a brainchild of Jack to have an arranger on the scene so that he could expedite the process. Because one thing he knew about John that we all know, too, is he did not like to dilly-dally in the studio. He liked to Mm. get in and get it done. And that allowed them to sort of supercharge the sessions. Um, But I don't think it stopped him from from giving his opinion to the musicians. You know, I like when I remember listening to one of the the sessions and uh, I think probably to Slick. John's saying, I think they were doing I'm Losing You when he says, you could fill all those holes in your want, you know, like uh, with the guitar playing. He says, you know, kind of like encouraging him to play, you know. It's not like really necessarily mapped out if you can fill these holes, if you can put the guitar in there how you like, that's fine with him too. Yeah, and and, and it, the charts weren't done so thickly that they would mitigate that that ability, Joe, right? You could still do all of that wonderful ad lib kind of work. Um, but it would, it would give them space because the musicians already knew the songs that then, um, then they could come up with all of those wonderful bits, you know, in the studio, including that, that beautiful descending piece that uh, I guess it's McCracken and Slick play on starting over. You know, you can hear them working it out one day. It's really quite lovely on one of the outtakes, um, you know, because they're just playing along with the, uh, the mechanics of the song as it's already been imagined. 
Right. You know, one thing that I found interesting, I knew all about uh, David Geffen and that Geffen was smart enough to know that if you want to deal with John and Yoko, you got to go through Yoko. <laughs> and um, but what I didn't realize was that what sealed the deal was that Geffen was willing to take their album without even hearing it. And that impressed Yoko a lot. I would have. <laughs> That's because you're a deal maker, Joe. <laughs> you, you have impressed the Lennon family. It's been documented. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes, that's, that's right. right. Oh, I never thought of that. See what you did no, there. It's a public issue. It's a, it's yeah. a public uh, public testimony is available for all to see. Um, <laughs> you know, and and when he when she explained, you know, how her material would be on the album, he knew, you know, he he was really in tune with what they were trying to do. He, he obviously did his homework. And when she said, uh, you know, that her work would be there too, he said, I wouldn't have it any other way. Hmm. Mm. You know, very he, smart. Uh, um, he put a lot out there though, right? To, to start that new company. He'd had that cancer scare in the late seventies. Um, and talk about a guy who's given, given back so much, right? He's, uh, he's become a great uh, philanthropist. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And he really built up, up that company sorry, then. I don't want to interrupt anybody, but uh, I, I have a question here I've been wondering about. The question of John and Yoko going for a full tour. I've always thought from what I'd heard that it was just a matter of that John was thinking he'd like to do that. In fact, I think it was the RKO interview the last day that he was alive. And he said, uh, you know, if people will accept us as John and Yoko as a couple, or we can have fun and enjoy the music, then I'd be happy to go out there. But uh, a lot of people and uh, say it was more official. They were going to do it. It was planned and stuff like that. What do, what do you think of that? Well, I mean, you know, uh, I, I, I look to uh, Ken Sharp, uh, who had done some work and getting those. We, I don't think we would know some of that testimony if he hadn't started asking questions because some of those folks aren't with us anymore. We know that John was starting to imagine a stage show, <laughs> what he would play. Um, he was he was actually imagining a kind of full court press in a way, right, too, because he was also talking about, um, what was it, uh, the videos he would make. He wanted to make a video like Ashes to Ashes. Hey, we yeah. all did that year. Yeah. <laughs> it was a wonderful video. Um, but uh, so I think we have pretty good testimony that that he was strongly leaning toward it. Um, would it have taken longer? Who can say, you know, uh, undertaking a world tour is a big deal. Um, you know, certainly. So uh, this is one of those things we'll never know all the details, but uh, from all the testimony, again, from, from those various folks, it sure sounded like uh, a lot of, a lot of thought and uh, resistance had already been overcome. Oh, good. Yeah. You know, weren't they already <laughs> talking about who was going to be in the band? Oh, sure. Well, the band wanted to be in the band, right? <laughs> you know, and my favorite part, and again, kudos to Ken for getting this, was that bit where, uh, um, you know, they're, they're letting him know that concerts aren't 25 minutes anymore. You know, they're not, these, they're, they're not right. Beatles sets, right? <laughs> John was like, what? <laughs> what Two, two hours? hours? <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> Could you could you imagine John in the MTV era the kind of videos he would might be thinking about? Yeah, I think it would have been wonderful. Yeah, and you said he, he was intrigued. He <laughs> yeah, he was intrigued. Yeah, by the Ashes to Ashes video, and yeah, I think he would have 
have been great. Right. I mean, he had a very visual mind. You know, imagine him going back. Imagine. It's always there. It's behind you. Imagine him being able to to take these ideas and 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 give pictures to all of those words. Yeah, he would have really embraced MTV. Yep. And MTV so. would have been the better for it. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. You know, one amusing thing I just wanted to bring up since I was just talking about Geffen, I didn't realize this till you had it in your book, Ken, but you say that Stiff Records oh, yeah. <laughs> offered a record deal to John and Yoko for $5,000. <laughs> which is kind of like the Lorne Michaels deal. I <laughs> <laughs> for the Beatles to play for $3,000. Uh, $5,000. Give Ringo whatever you think he needs. <laughs> <laughs> they gave Ringo that deal. Yeah. Probably would have taken it. <laughs> At that point, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's such a kind of '70s thing, too, isn't it? That little story. I mean, it happens in 1980, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, really. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I forgot that. <laughs> oh man! Excellent. <laughs> oh. So, any last questions, guys? Or maybe from our audience? Let's see, uh, just seeing if there are any other uh, questions. Well, a lot of people are also uh, mentioning uh, so, and have uh, links to the Saturday Night Live bits that we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, our friend about. Mike Narr uh, has provided <laughs> a link yeah. directly to that episode, so that uh, you'll want to check that out afterwards. Thank so, you. Yeah. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. I don't know how well, I do. I've never seen The crack anymore. researchers are right here uh, inside this uh, mm -hmm. Yep. So, oh, we, hey, we've always got alert, uh, alert listeners here. This is uh, absolutely so. Uh, oh, somebody did ask um, if uh, it is possible to get autographed copies. Well, all they have to do if they want to message me on Facebook or email me or what have you, if, if they want to have Amazon send a book here, I will sign it and put it in the mail for them. Excellent. All right. So, yep. Just look uh, look up Ken on Facebook or email him. Can they go to your website and contact you that way? Or they sure can. And I'm all you know. I'm I, I'm touched and honored to to help out that way. So you know, excellent. Especially in these days when, as you and I know, kitten, we're not seeing our friends at the fest like we used to. That's for our, sure. Our side by side tables. That's right. You where know, we get up to all kinds we've of still trouble. Been able to keep up with each other. That's right. <laughs> That's I've for been, sure. I've been waiting for a chance to be on a panel physically at the fest and uh, COVID. Well, but, <laughs> but let's clear. You didn't cause COVID though, right? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Mayo virus or <laughs> Mayo virus. <laughs> no, no, no. Nope. Well, hopefully, when all this madness is over, we will be back the Fab Five live and in person. Yeah, sure. and, and we need a rematch against Lewison on our trivia contest anyway. Damn right. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought you were going to take him, kid. I know. I know. And, should, and you know I, what? I, I came close. You really did. We should have just called it and called it and ended it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I After that, I, I was going, you know, down the escalator and, and a woman was coming up the escalator and she yelled at me, damn it, I was rooting for you. <laughs> you know, 
we uh, we really missed our opportunity with that to uh, we should have shut that thing down. What was yeah. that? <laughs> mm. But that's where we first met Ethan Alexanian. That's hey, Ethan. Was, but, that's, oh. but that's OK. Shout out to Ethan. During the rematch, we'll yep. know when to shut it down. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm. Oh, very man. good. Very good. All right, then. So why don't we uh, just give everyone our contact information and let us know what's in store for each of us. All right. We'll start with uh, Joe. Just have to contact me in the comments section if you like. You can talk to me there on uh, YouTube for my channel, Mean Mr. Mayo, and uh, follow all my uh, crazy videos that I do and my serious videos about music. I record store haunts and hunts and all kinds of comedy that I would do on the side. But at the end of the day, Beatles is the main topic. It's all the Beatles on my channel. So I hope you'll subscribe. I'm trying to get to 10,000 subs. And uh, when I do, I'm going to be doing a contest to celebrate. And you could win either money or a prize. Ooh. Wow. And you're a busy Crazy. guy. It seems like you have a video every day now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so modest. What, what you do is you try to stock. I learned to do that as I go on. You know, when you have the time, make a few, and then release one a, a, a day, every other day, or something like that. Keep it going. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you watch TV, if, you, if there's something you like, you want to see content, you want to see programming. You don't want to have a show you enjoy and they don't have anything. Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it. And you're absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely right. <laughs> Tom, how about you? Well, we've been busy, as you all know. Um, our episodes with, um, with, uh, oh boy. Um, he doesn't even remember. I don't even remember. I, was, <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, listen, Lawrence Juber and, and, and Mendelssohn. And, um, you know, we just, we just posted our, our episode on um, Wingspan. We, we, we took a trip down memory lane and we talked about our thoughts on, on the uh, Wingspan documentary soundtrack and book so we had a great time with that and I'm happy to say that I just booked uh, drummer Dave Maddox who, who did a lot of drumming for Paul throughout the 80s cool. and, and nice. on Run Devil Run and uh, you know worked on songs such as Through Our Love, Dress Me Up as a Robber, We Got Married, I Love This House and I'm really excited to talk to him about those David Foster sessions yeah. which uh, yeah. a couple of those uh, cool. songs came from so uh, be on the lookout for that in November. Uh, you can find us and we got a new website to podcast.com and you can email us at two legs podcast at gmail.com and please check us out on our youtube channel as well two legs a paul mccartney podcast and please subscribe there thank you all for checking us out okay ken you just mentioned your website uh, any other ways to contact you sure um well my website uh facebook you know <laughs> call me <laughs> um, i'll talk to anybody anytime i mean these are you know, these are amazing stories that we all love to tell and retell that, um, you know, are just so meaningful to all of us. And we share this wonderful Beatles community. So I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody, anytime. Um, I'm proud of my new, thanks for missing my new podcast with Salon mm -hmm. called Everything Fab Four, where I, I talk to people about uh, their Fab Four origin stories. And, uh, you know, sometimes they choke you up, they're heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And uh, and thanks for all the work all of you guys do, you know, with uh, you just describing the guests you talk to and that kind of work. Think of how important that's going to be 
um, for scholars someday who will no longer have access to these folks that you get to talk to now. Mm. So come up with good questions. Yes, absolutely. Pressure's on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kit, you're next. All right. Well, of course, as always, you can find me on my website, kiddotool.com, on my Facebook page. Um, uh, The uh, I have uh, have an episode up. I just uh, guest starred recently on Anthony Rotuno's podcast. Uh, he's a friend of our show. has a great podcast called uh, Glass Onion on John Lennon. And I uh, was honored to appear on there along with Ken McNabb, who uh, terrific author of the book yeah. and in the end. Um, we did a fun episode. This is actually part one of two, uh, where Anthony asked us to rank our favorite John Lennon album solo and with the Beatles, uh, judging on his contributions on those Beatles albums, a lot harder than I thought it would be. And uh, and we had to give our reasons and uh, we had a fun, fun discussion. So part one is up, part two should be up soon. So I'll put up the link on, on my Facebook page. I'll put it up on uh, talk more talk as well so uh, do check that out I reviewed Ken's book actually which is up on something else reviews don't worry I gave it a good review and uh, <laughs> Ken looked worried for a second and um, uh, and uh, speaking of Ken coming up uh, November 10th um, uh, Ken very graciously asked me to come back uh, to the uh, vir- Tuesday night virtual uh, record club. We're going to be talking about Joni Mitchell's Blue. Uh, we had such a fun time talking about songs in the key of life that uh, Ken asked me to come back. So, uh, so that'll... You, I've, I've had a lot of great guests uh, who've helped us out with it. We're in our fifth season, believe it or not, of Tuesday night record club. Wow. And none of you guys will be surprised. Um, they didn't love anybody like they love kiddo too. <laughs> and they didn't even know she was the queen of all Beatles media yet. No, they didn't. Uh, Ken, Ken told them. So yeah, like five times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So, yep. So that'll be November 10th. So just uh, go on Eventbrite. I'll be posting a link to that on my page. Um, and uh, you can register and it's absolutely free, just like the last time. So, uh, so hope you'll, you'll join us for that. It's a, it's a good time. So I think that's everything. Oh, and you can contact us um, on, <laughs> we're almost forgot us, um, at, uh, you can go to our, uh, our website, talkmoretalk.com. Uh, you can email us at talkmoresolotalk at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at uh, talkmoretalk1. Uh, that's the number one. Please send us your feedback, your ideas, and subscribe to us on YouTube please we 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 need subscribers so tell your friends tell your neighbors tell your enemies <laughs> tell everybody Maybe we need to give money or a prize yes we <laughs> to we, borrow yeah. from our friend not yeah yeah not as much money, as the by joke the way, money, offer you that's money right in the form of a gift card uh, <laughs> not real money not real it's money, a long time no. to get to ten thousand subs it doesn't happen that often i go bro that's right and ken ken before we get to you i was just delivered a uh i don't know if you can see it but new on paul mccartney instagram it's mm-hmm. a new picture with uh three holes on the lawn there so um <laughs> it's 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 so if still we coming. follow those holes on right that lawn. yes you'll be uh, you'll be um uh, tripped into the hole to go head over to alice in wonderland so nice <laughs> nice drink we yeah. we've been kidding here before the show 
that there'll yeah. probably be a major announcement about McCartney three right after the show's after the show. over. Right, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah, so that's that tends to happen, you know. Right. Every week when I was doing my live broadcast of every little thing on a Wednesday night, the next day I'd find out something, you know, something new that was major, and I wish I could have said it the previous night. Right. But uh, yeah. For those of you that'd like to contact me directly, my email address is every little thing at att.com. Um, also, um, I'm pleased to say that I finally entered the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> As someone whose entire career has been radio and al almost all audio, except for this show, I now have finally my own YouTube page. Yay. which is Ken Michaels Radio. I put up uh, my first video, which is an interview with Joey Molland of Badfinger. And Joey just released a brand new album called Be True to Yourself. Mark Hudson produced it. Julian Lennon does backing vocals on some of the songs. And Mickey Dolenz does too. Jason Sheff, from, uh, formerly from Chicago. They were all on the uh, White Album Tour. So uh, I did uh, an interview discussing the new album, Beatle Talk as well. Um, and so you can find that at Ken Michaels Radio, uh, my brand new YouTube page. Please subscribe to that. And uh, Joey was a tremendous guest. Great to have him as my first guest. Also, uh, I have a special contest going on on my website in which you can win, yes, three books all at once. Wow. Including, we had this guy on our yes. show yes. last time, Dave Morell. And um, Dave spent many years as a promo man for different record companies from uh, Warner Brothers, RCA to Capitol. All throughout the 80s, he worked at Capitol Records. He promoted Press to Play, Flowers in the Dirt, uh, worked on Men Love Avenue and Live in New York City. He has stories to tell about that, stories to tell about how he met the Beatles, especially John. Well, really, um, he's met all of them and Yoko. And uh, that was a tremendous interview that he gave us on our last show, oh, it'll it blow you away. So many geek out moments during that interview. Just <laughs> yeah, between Tom, that and Tom everybody and Joe else, were like this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for most of the show. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, uh, Peter Asher's book, "The Beatles from A to Z." You all know Peter from being part of Peter and Gordon, a great producer for people like James Taylor and Linda Ronstadt. He has his own show on Sirius XM's Beatles channel. And he does the same thing here. He goes to the alphabet and he'll pick something that'll be you know, a song or an album or a person that starts with that letter. It's the fun idea that he put into a book. My last copy of this. And then I have Lania Stagg's Recipe Records, a culinary tribute to the Beatles. Mm, so you could win all three of these. All yeah, in one recipe are actually good. They yeah. are. Does it have a uh, does it have a yellow submarine sandwich in there? <laughs> probably. It probably <laughs> does. On. I don't remember. Maybe just a club sandwich. Clubs. Ah. <laughs> oh. a. Thank you. That's very nice. Here, there, in every sausage square, helter skelter skillet. <laughs> love, really love good. me too. I don't know what this is, but anyway, I relish her too. majesty. <laughs> okay so i'm sure all those recipes are tempting you right now if you want to win all three books a special contest starts on my website this wednesday so just go to kenmichaelsradio.com for that also on my trivia page you can win ken's new book john lennon 1980 
that is a prize there, one of 10, as well as that new John Lennon tribute CD from Gem Records. Cool. And uh, let's see, I have my latest uh, episode of Every Little Thing premiering this week on many of my radio stations. On the show, I play two brand new cover versions of Beatle and solo Beatle songs, one of which has Lawrence Juber on it. The other's from The Weaklings. Could it be from this very same CD? It just <laughs> might be. Oh, the mystery's <laughs> too much. The suspense. <laughs> it's one of two songs on that compilation from The Weaklings. Oh. And um, I do a whole set of songs from 2000 to 2009. So, you know, mm. we cover it all on every little wow. thing. And finally, on things we said today, you can go back one week when we interviewed this guy right here, Ken Womack. If you can't get enough of Ken, go back to our last show, Things We Said Today, which is on Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube. And next week, we're doing a show on Things We Said Today, where we're interviewing Ashley Kahn, who put together this book, yep. a new George Harrison book called Harrison on Harrison, which I'm currently reading. It's many, I'm not sure if it's all, of the interviews that George Harrison gave in his lifetime. It's good to have uh, transcriptions. What it is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Have you read it, Ken? Of course. Oh, okay. <laughs> I gotta get that. And it's nice yeah. to to hear Cozen back again. Yes, he's excited to be back, and uh, we'll be talking to Ashley next week. That show will be recorded Tuesday. Probably will be up Thursday or Friday. So that's uh, all that's going on there with me. Great. You know, right. between the five of us. You all don't have to leave your house. No, never. <laughs> we all got enough shows to fill up your whole life. <laughs> you probably shouldn't leave your house. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's true also. But um, yeah, so if you can, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Ken Michaels Radio. Also, Two Legs. You can subscribe yeah. to that. Our show. Oh and uh, of course, Me, Mr. Mayo. Mayo's. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We're all over this the place. This is a show in itself, folks. Yeah. <laughs> the Queen so will probably have her own uh, YouTube channel soon. Oh you possibly. Know. Possibly. Checking Not out possibly. red carpets, you know, and stuff right. like that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a nice touch. Yeah. Not the red carpet. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Come out with a crown. Yeah. Absolutely. Everything. That'll yeah. be my intro. Graphics Inter would yeah. be oh this has been great ken yep. thanks for stopping by and you know you're you're welcome anytime you're of course back yes. yeah, absolutely and, uh, in someday yeah. uh. <laughs> thanks for talking about your book again it's called john lennon 1980 the last days in the life thanks to all of you for watching this show and uh, for your continued support. Thanks to Fab Four Radio for covering yes, all of all our of shows. Our we thank shall never you. forget that. Every yes, little thing, things we said today, Talk More Talk and Two Legs, two legs. all on the same channel. And Kit's monthly live. Yep, and my monthly live show, which is coming up soon in the new edition. Okay, yep. very good. So thanks to all of you for watching. And uh, on behalf of Kit and Joe, and Tom and Ken, I'm Ken Michael saying thanks for <laughs> tuning in. And we will see you next time. Rx. Peace and love. Yep. <laughs> Give us some truth. Okay. <laughs>